You're listening to Tara Lynn's A Geek Saga podcast. This episode features audio from a discussion panel that was recorded at DragonCon 2017. My name is Tara. I'm the moderator. I am an author and blogger and webcaster. Um, I've been reviewing the 100 for uh, the website The Geek Geary for a while. Um, also, sorry. I was saying yesterday, oh, it's Sunday at DragonCon. I'm losing my voice now. It's Monday and I really don't have one. Um, so the way I usually run these things is I'm going to let our panelists introduce themselves and kind of get the conversation started. And then since, you know, it's kind of a small, you know, audience today, um, you know, once we've, you know, had a bit of a chat up here, we like to, I like to open it up to the audience for, you know, your insights and questions and whatnot. Um, audience participation is 80 plus plus. Uh, so yeah, so again, I'm Tara, and um, we'll start with Zan here and work our way down. Hi, my name is Eternal Zan, and I'm on the ESO Network.com podcast, ESO Dragon Con Report, which is a monthly podcast that will start up again in January, and my regular segment on there mainly covers the topic of hotel rooms, so how to book a hotel room and get roommates, tips and tricks, and uh, I have... Is it okay if I pass out? And I have little cards you can pick up afterwards. Um, so I'm also in the Dragon Con Rooms Facebook group as a moderator to help out on that same topic. I led the Cult of Marriott Carpet Parade group this year. We got up early enough to see the parade. <laughs> we have party, late night party people in here. I like it. And then um, I have a website, DragonConEternalMembers.com, that links to a bunch of different resources that I do that's all just super fan Dragon Con stuff. And, and I watch like all the CW shows. <laughs> um, I'm Robert Cronus, managing editor of Create by Space, a genre site that covers anything science fiction, fantasy, or post-apocalyptic. And uh, the 100 has been one of our favorite shows since uh, season one, and uh, definitely have uh, a lot of theories and topics to discuss. I am Jesse Jackson. I look different than I do on TV. Yes, I've made that joke in every panel with me. Um, people now that have been in multiple panels are like, yes, I'm tired of the joke. Um, I'm a podcaster. I do a Doctor Who podcast, The Next Stop Everywhere. Uh, I am on a Game of Thrones podcast, Small Council Matters, uh, American Gods podcast, Roadside Attractions, and then my favorite podcast right now is one I do called Set Lusting Bruce which is a Bruce Springsteen fandom podcast. If you want to know the story behind the title, come see me. Uh, and I'm excited to be on the panel talking 100. Hi, I'm Marissa Saha, and I'm basically a fan like you guys. Um, but by day, I'm a psychologist. And I love to watch all these things like Zan. I watch pretty much everything on the CW um, and watch a lot of um, the programming on this track. And this is my second Dragon Con, so I'm pretty new to it. Um, so I'm just excited. Um, so thanks for having me. All right, so <clears throat> just to get us started, um, easy question here. Uh, favorite thing from or things from this season? I want to let's we'll, we'll start it with some positive stuff. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure like everybody else, there were there were some negatives about this season. But favorite thing about this season from um, just literally anything—a relationship, a character, a character arc—and and you guys like just. I, I you don't have to go in order, by the way. <laughs> you want to start at the end, Nick? Um, I like it. Uh, it just, everybody started working together and looking for different ideas, and it sort of fell apart several times, but they kept coming back to trying to work together, and I, I kind of like that, because I didn't think that was going to happen. Um, I, I like the season a lot, and, um, but I, I especially continue to enjoy Clark's journey. I think she's an, an interesting character, a character not afraid to make the tough choices. And I kind of liked her trying to find, um, build relationships and actually kind of, you know, looking for a, an emotional connection. So I, I, I liked her journey a lot this season. I think for me, um, 
Murphy's uh, evolution over the last few seasons, especially going into this last one, was one of my favorite. Um, from being the character we hated the most to finding out that he's actually probably going to be the most useful, um, you know, with the group that, that goes up to space. Um, not from the technical side, but just that he's uh, a bit more caring and loyal than we were led on to believe, you know, in the first few seasons. So that's the character I think I was most excited for last season. I like Raven's journey and how, it, particularly whenever she has to problem solve, because it seems like in some shows you have like the one technical person and they're always like, yes sir, that'll take 10 minutes. Okay, maybe 15 because we just had some bad damage. But like with Raven, you see more of the process and that nothing's as easy as it seems and you know, they've been to space before so they have this technical knowledge. It, it's not like it's new and she grew up, it, they, all, they all grew up in space. And so for me to see Raven kind of losing her confidence, it was a little bit like Gumbo. I felt like, you know, you didn't need the feather to fly. She didn't need somebody else in her brain. She was already intelligent and she didn't lose her intelligence or her skills. What she lost was her confidence and seeing her get that back. I really enjoyed that journey. I think um, <clears throat> with, like on the topic of Clark, specifically i you know she she's really frustrated me a lot throughout the series a lot um i don't you know she's not like a least favorite character or anything but she makes some really frustrating decisions and and i it's understandable why she makes them a lot of the time but that doesn't make it any less annoying um but this season i feel like at the very end, it really kind of redeemed her when she climbed up to fix, um, was it the, like the radio tower or satellite tower, yeah. Uh, when she climbed up to fix that, and she was literally, like she <clears throat> basically knew she wasn't going to make it. Uh, or well, you know, she was supposed to not make it, um, but she was okay with that so long as her friends uh, survived. And I feel like it's been a while since we got to see her you know, being willing to sacrifice herself. She's she's um, never necessarily put herself first, but uh, it, it was a little bit redeeming for me to, to see her finally like reach that point again. Um, but <clears throat> speaking of Clark, we might as well just get this part over with. Uh, how about that time skip, you guys? <laughs> Six years in space for the small group. Yeah. Six years on the ground for her, and six years underground in the bunker. It's going to be quite a uh, uh, interesting dynamic for each of the various groups. Um, not only Clark, who apparently is an adopted mother um, now. You've got uh, seven people up in space, which means you have an incomplete couple. So there's bound to be a conflict somewhere there. Um, Do you think we're going to get a baby that was born in space? Yeah. A little kid comes back? It's, 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 space babies! It's, that's funny because we actually asked them that at San Diego and that was the topic, space babies. Um, I, did, I didn't even see that, like total coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> the writer neither confirmed nor denied. That means that confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know how I feel about that, but... You know, I think that the, the partnerships are definitely going to be very different after six years in space than they were when they were on the ground. I'm kind of hoping um, that for the seven people in space thing, I would really love for their... D does anybody in here know The Expanse? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in The Expanse, there are a lot of um, families who are in... Um, they're like all, I'm blanking on like the term right now, oh my God, I'm so tired. Um, there are basically families that are just, you know, this so many wives and so many, you know, husbands. Um, and I really would love to see them explore that dynamic. Uh, they've showed that they're not necessarily afraid of having, you know, different lifestyles represent, you know, different lifestyles represented on the show. Um, they haven't done the best job with it so far, but I feel like if they sent those seven people into space and they all come back and uh, they're all just coupled up uh, heterosexually, that would be really disappointing. <laughs> yeah, just a comment about the different kinds of relationships. I feel like they do a really good job on this show of showing, not telling the relationships. Nobody justifies anything, nobody explains it, nobody names it. They just say, 
I'm in love with this person and we're having a relationship, and nobody questions it. Nobody is going around saying, you shouldn't be in a relationship with this person or that person, except maybe I wouldn't want to date Murphy. But like, <laughs> I don't think maybe he's the best choice of a romantic partner, but clearly, you know, he has his own relationship and romantic partner. And again, nobody questions that. And I think that in, in some shows is very much a statement in and of itself that those characters are living in a world where everything's so accepted, they don't even discuss it. Yeah, I do think it would be interesting to see the, um, the team from space to kind of have this group family that um, other people explore, but especially like Robert Heinlein in some of his novels will talk about this group marriages, uh, companionships. Um, I also think it's just gonna be really interesting that Clark is now a grounder and that these other people coming from space, that interaction and, and kind of the switch of the roles will be um, cool to see. I agree. I think, um, I wonder if the loyalties will shift a little bit, that the people in space will be more tied to each other, even if they're not all in relationships with each other. At this point, they've helped each other survive for six years by themselves. So I think those loyalties will shift a little bit. And then you wonder, because we didn't see the bunker at all. Right. Um, so what happened there, you know, I don't think they all died, but I'm sure a significant amount of them did. And why did the ones who survived survive? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I think they made it pretty clear, because towards the end of the episode, I was sort of wondering if they would, that the people in space know that Clark saved them. So they shouldn't be coming back feeling like you abandoned us or, you know, maybe they don't know if she's alive now after this length of time, but they know that she was, you know, clearly she was alive to fix the technical problem so they could get in space. So I feel like when they come back, they've got to be really curious about how she's doing now and looking forward to seeing her. Yeah, I do think her loyalties might change just a little bit from the standpoint of now that she has a essentially a child to protect. Um, she may decide to protect that child a little bit more than protect her friends that come back from space. I don't think they're going to be hostile when they meet each other, but you know now she has almost like a first priority that comes before her group of friends now that she, that she's had previously. Yeah, I, I think your your agenda changes. You're based on your lifestyle and your life experiences. And so she's going to be thinking differently and they definitely will be different. At, you know, uh, We actually have three or four factions, right? We have the bunkers, we have the people in space, we have Clark and her now you know, daughter, and then plus whoever's coming in from this uh, space you know, shift. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of if you ever change schools, like if you went to one middle school and then you go to a different high school and you know, so you, you still have your middle school friends, but maybe you don't see them as much because you all got sent to different high schools. I feel like that's kind of what they're coming back to. They're, they form new relationships and the old ones ended well, but time passes and you know, what happens when time passes affects the person you've become, the decisions you've had to make. And we are, you, were, you were mentioning the topic of sacrifice, which I feel is a huge theme in this show. What, what are you willing to sacrifice for? How much can you sacrifice and, and still retain your humanity? And certainly being separated and being in space for that long and being a grounder for that long, that's, I think they're, you know, they're gonna catch up when they get back. What happened to you? What, what did you go through when we had no communication? Um, we had a question, yes. No, I was gonna say, I'm going to um, Clark, the, the, the space people, they think I, if my impression was they think Clark is dead. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, right. not that they're going to look forward to seeing what Clark has been up to in the last six years. Clark is dead to them. They'll be happy to see her because we had that connection to the end of first season when Clark closed the door on Bellamy, and this time Bellamy closed the door on Clark. Um, and also, what I'm um, going to the Clark is now a mother relationship. One of the things that's fascinated me is Clark's relationship with her mother once her mother came down to the ground and seeing them try and find this mother-daughter relationship, except that they're both equals. Um, and, and everyone has been talking about, you know, Clark's loyalty is going to, now, now that she's a parent, her loyalty is going to be to her daughter. And that, in me, and watching the two of them together reminded me of, I can't remember the mother's name. It, I'm blanking. Abigail. Abigail, Abby, 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 Abby,
when Abby didn't want to do the um, the blood transfusion because that's her daughter and that could have killed her, but she went through with it. And then the second time she had to almost sacrifice her daughter, she said, I don't care if humanity dies. I'm, she smashed that radiation chamber that she would rather see humanity die than see her own child possibly die. And so now Clark, and Clark couldn't figure out why her mother would do that, and now Clark is in that position. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting character shift. I mean, the, the people in space, we assume, based on the damage done to the rocket, they've got no communication equipment because that, that was kind of basically spelled out for us, and navigation equipment for that matter, when they went up. And, you know, Clark has clearly been radioing for, you know, however many years it's been safe. I think it was safe for a year at, the, at that point. Yeah, and it's kind of like, we don't know. Maybe eventually, because, you know, Raven's super brilliant, maybe they could hear her, but they just couldn't respond. Maybe they've been listening to her live journal all these years. <laughs> yeah, oh, and, and knowing that this other ship's come down, maybe they heard it. Oh. And then that's what prompted it. You know, we don't know. But, yeah, you're right. As far as, as, far as we as the viewers know, the, the people in space have no clue that she's even alive. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how also her entire outlook on life changes now that she's in her mother's position, you know, when it comes to this new threat. Do we have any theories about who the, like who could possibly be in this other spaceship? Are they entirely new people? How did nobody ever notice them before? What do you guys think? Like maybe kind of a lost 13th tribe thing. Like we thought we were the only ones that survived mm -hmm. in space, but maybe there were some people hiding off in a corner that were like, you know, we got sent into space too like maybe from Russia or China or another country, and we just never had contact with those other people, but now is the time, because, hey, look, it's like they're down there, and they've been down there for a while, and maybe it's safe for us to go to the ground, too. Maybe? Yeah, I think that's the theory I have, is that it is some other, you know, country, or maybe a private, um, you know, Richard Branson kind of, you know, team that is now doing that. Um, I, I don't think it's going to, I don't think the show will go toward an alien life form. I think they'll do that. I, I would be surprised if they did. Yeah, they actually mentioned that it's a prison ship, I believe. Yeah. It's it a prison had, transport. Um, yeah. It was English language, know, English, yeah. English yeah. words on the spaceship. Was this covered in the books? Because I haven't read the book. Does anybody like know for sure? But don't tell us. But just went off, like, they have nothing. Yeah, yeah, so we know it's a prison transport. They revealed at least one of the actresses who is on that prison transport. But what we don't know is what crimes were they accused of, because we know that essentially the 100 were, were basically criminals for you know simple things like just trying to survive and stealing meds and things of that nature. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So we, we don't really know if these are like true hardened criminals or was it similar offenses or is this the crew of that transport ship, maybe not the prisoners. You know, Maybe they, the prisoners are still secure but the crew wanted to come down. There's a lot we maybe don't know. Dead, one of the theories that I've heard from um, that whole conversation was it's a prisoner transport, but it was separated off from the Ark mm -hmm. from when it launched, so the original prisoners might be dead. So these could just be Australians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we know that um, up until uh, the City of Light Ark, the whole backstory to what caused the downfall was was lost, and, and, and Becca's separate uh, ship, that their separate Ark that they destroyed because she was trying to keep it isolated from the rest. Um, they didn't know about that until that backstory. So who knows what other arcs existed that nobody remembers. That's true. I find it a little, I guess, if, I feel like if you have that technology to send people into space like that, you should be able to see the other ships right. that are like up there with it's you. It's a little bit odd, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, and I, I did see that it was like a prisoner thing from the from Comic Con, um, but I guess uh, mostly like like you guys said, why why are they prisoners? Or really like it, there's not just going to be prisoners on there. There also have to be guards, unless of course they've like revolted and taken over and everything. Um, but it's definitely a completely you know yet another new kind of villain 
for them to focus on now that for the most part the grounders and and the original people from the arc are uh, they're not friends necessarily but they're working together Jason's talked about they've actually been in cryosleep this whole time so they're from a hundred years ago like they're from oh, our time. oh I didn't know that no. that's interesting yeah and it makes you wonder I mean yeah. if, if they've been asleep that long their equipment may have access to information that would tell them where stashes of other labs are other equipment other technology um, so when they come down, you may have, like you said, the guards and the prisoners have um, kind of flipped roles. The, the ones pretending to be the guards are actually the prisoners, and the others are guarded, and they're, they're trying to go after this, you know, these bunkers or the, this technology that um, nobody else is aware of. So they, they, they may have an upper hand because of that. I really like that idea of them coming from 100 years ago because we've already seen how some knowledge was lost or distorted or corrupted over time where they think the sign means this and then it's actually a corporation and night blood and the origin of that. And if you have people from 100 years ago, then all of a sudden they could just be dropping huge knowledge bombs. Or they're like, no, 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 actually, in this game of telephone, here's what you got wrong. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you could... Uh you know, the ship said, it says prisoner on it, they could come out and they could say, no, 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 we're not prisoners. That's just, that was the only ship that was still working. Yeah. So, yeah. And of course, you're, you know, Clark's there and she's like, uh, I think they're lying to me. So, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think you, she you, would you, be you guarded. Know, just start off with some distrust there and use that as reason to make bad decisions. Bad <laughs> decisions. Yeah. Did anybody else have any questions? Yes. Well, and remember, they also didn't get to choose who survived. Yeah. And I can't imagine that they were very happy about that when they that. woke up. Right. Yeah, I mean, do you think that that situation that the people in the bunker were forced into would cause them to become more united or more divided? Well, you've got Ja down there, and, you know, he's going to want to kill everybody that doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to. So. <laughs> well, I, I really like Oh my God! Mm. Um, I like how she really stepped up as a leader due to her own struggles with what happened in her life to Lincoln, um, and I think she's going to fight Jaha like she did at the end oh, yeah. of the season. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, yeah. Real good point. I mean, I think everyone from Sky Crew that was basically said, "Oh, you survived," but everyone else didn't. When they wake up, it's not going to be pretty. Um, I think that they're going to. Um, they're, I mean, they're going to be down there for six years knowing what was just done to them and, and to their friends and family members, etc. And they had no choice in the situation, no vote. Um, and they're stuck in this bunker with these other people. And I, I would be shocked if they just quietly accepted that for six years. So you think the people who were in charge when the bunker closed might not be the people in charge when the bunker opens? <laughs> I think that's a real possibility. I don't know if I, I think it might still be, but because she supposedly represents everybody now. Yeah. yeah. You know, not just one clan. <laughs> right. If she stepped up and she is the leader now, that would be amazing. Yes. But I, I, I don't really like Jaha, but I do fear for him if that happened. <laughs> she's strained. And mm -hmm. I think you'd probably have a lot of revenge killing or things like that if certain people in the other people mm -hmm. for choices. And I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I don't think she's political enough to, you know, in a con, in a contained environment with what is it, three hundred, eight hundred, six hundred people, five hundred people? No, it's twelve hundred. Twelve hundred, yeah. Yeah. Um, we got to rename the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, like every but, week, the show would have a new number for yeah. the name. <laughs> I mean, they did it in Battlestar Galactica. Battle 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 <laughs> just a whiteboard. I mean, the, the Skype, uh, Jaha and um, Abigail, and, you know, they're, yeah. they're real political savvy. I mean, they're, 
but you know, half their decisions are made because of political reasons, not survival reasons, and which is part of the fun of the whole show. So I, I had a question that, and I see you raise your hand. But, um, I just recently, I have a friend who binges everything. He doesn't watch anything live, and so he got the 100, the first season on DVD, and I said, um, the first few episodes, you're going to go, why am I watching this? It's a typical CW angst show. Stick with it. You're going to be surprised. And he came back like a week later, and he said, oh, my goodness, what a change of pace. And, and so I just was curious if anyone else had that experience, either telling someone or, you know, you, you your Christmas present looked like it was going to be a baseball bat, and when you take off the wrapper, you're like, oh, it's not. It's a guitar, you know, it's something. So I'm just curious on the panel if anyone had that same experience about the show or the audience. I think it took me four episodes to really realize, okay, this is not going to just be drama. <laughs> but it took four. Um, because I remember watching that fourth episode thinking, okay, things are picking up. Yeah. I think it took me till probably middle of the first season before I was really hooked on it. And then there was a point in between season, end of season two, about midway through season three, where I was kind of falling off of it a little bit. And then season four, for me, just brought me right back on to fully enjoying the series and being anxious to see where season five goes. Yeah, I, I wasn't interested in it in the beginning. I, I saw the ads and I just thought, oh, it kind of looks like Lord of the Flies. Which I really like that book. I don't think I've seen any Lord of the Flies movies. I've heard they're not that great. But, um, but I haven't seen them, so I don't know. Uh, and I heard there might be like a new one in development, who knows. But I kind of felt like, oh, I've read this story, and do I need to watch it as a series? And so I didn't watch it right away. And a couple of years ago, I binged and caught up, and now I watch it weekly. And yeah, because I mean, some CW shows, at least the way the initial ads seem to be done, they. They, I, I just thought it would be a lot more focused on romance and but because you know they're like oh it's a bunch of young people so they're all going to be pairing off and I was pleasantly su surprised to find that it really was more about individual characters and not necessarily who's dating who because I think it's nice to have some variety in what you watch and so for a CW show I think it's refreshing that the way the relationships exist but they are not the primary driver of the show, which I feel is often the case in some CW shows. Is that me? I don't, yes. It's you me. What, been, what was I doing wrong? phone or something, maybe? <laughs> Move all the technology <laughs> around. <laughs> all right, should we get Okay, sorry about that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I, was, I was kind of the same way. Um, it... it I don't remember exactly how many episodes it took. It was definitely at least, it had to have been less than four, so my guess is three, because my, my rule is if I'm not enjoying a show by the end of the fourth episode, I don't keep watching it. Like I had to make a rule for myself because otherwise I'm such a completionist that I would end up watching so many things that I hate. Um, but but yeah, no, and, and uh, agreed about it not being, I really thought it was just gonna be pretty young people hooking up. Yeah. Um, you know, post-apocalyptically, but, um, but yeah, and, and, and the fact that it wasn't was, especially for the CW, like, was really refreshing. And also, uh, one of my favorite things about the show is watching, um, like, friendships evolve. Like, even though Abigail and Kane, Abby and Kane are together, um, watching them go from two people who just really didn't like each other to being friends before they fell in love. Or, like, Jasper and Monty. Uh, I mean, I, I hated Jasper's arc this season. I hate the way he went out and everything, but like their friendship, like bro TP for life. <laughs> um, Jasper was always headed that way. Yeah. This was just kind of the end. I think that with him, they um, they maybe just dragged it out a little bit too long because uh, he, you know, he lost his. I don't remember the girl's name, but he lost Maya? the, the Maya, Maya. Thank you. He lost the girlfriend. Um, who he barely knew and he just he he kind of 
it, he was going downhill and it was like he was crashing downhill and he just kept going and going and going and going and it's like y'all this hill has to like has to end in a valley sometime yeah. um so yeah i mean I, and so that was i mean we might as well go from here what uh that was probably my least favorite part of this season because again i feel like they just dragged it out but what, what was something you guys just really wish they'd done differently this season Definitely Jasper. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, I liked the, the character relationship that uh, Jasper and Monty had. Um, and it was a pairing that was very comedic at first and then got very dark. Um, the whole Mount Weather, you know, thing was a very dark arc for the series in general. Um, but I do agree that I felt like Jasper's downfall was dragged out to the point where it's like, okay, I, I don't even want to pay attention to him right now because it's just it's like it was put on pause and just kept repeating the same thing over and over and over. I mean, I get that he was, you know, it was, a, it was an issue of depression. It was an issue of um, he didn't feel like he had anybody. Um, you know, Monty wasn't siding with him. But um, I'm not disappointed with how they had him go, per se, but just how long they drug, drug it out is what really bothered me. In the uh, fan panel yesterday, maybe it, we were the last two, um, the uh, Christopher Larkin, I think he said uh, Jasper's character was originally only slated for the first four yeah. episodes yeah. of season one. Murphy was a similar uh, similar character arc that, that those two were really only supposed to be in season one. So Raven was supposed to kill Murphy? Originally, yes. <laughs> um, and then both those characters ended up surviving and, right. and continuing on and evolving them. And, and that's why we're, it, it went way off the books at that point because, you know, all these changes, they just completely went a different direction, which is not a bad thing. That was the scene that hooked me, though, when Raven, you know, they're in, in the season one, they're in there, and Murphy comes in, and she pulls the trigger to kill him, and he says, you know, yeah, I would have shot me, too. Yeah. <laughs> that line, I mean, just, that, that's like one of my favorite lines I've ever seen in movies, TV, whatever. Just, you think about what you have to set up in order to be able to say that line, and it's like, wow, that was, that was really strong writing. And yeah. That was, I went to a fan panel, I believe last year, where they told us that the books were being written at the same time as the show. So the reason they're different is because the books didn't come first. They're being written as the show is written. Okay. So it's two different things. Did you guys, did anybody else have thoughts about something you disliked or wish they'd done differently this um, season? I, I feel like the, the is suicide ever a rational choice question was, you know, because it is a post-apocalyptic world and, you know, but um, I just thought that was a really disturbing topic to be addressed and something like it's pretty, it feels like it's pretty standard when a character is thinking about taking their own life they usually don't. They usually get talked out of it, or and, and you know, and then and at the end, as there should be, there's some kind of like suicide helpline number. But the message of the show is basically it's never the right choice, and that there's always a way out. And the world this show is set in, you know, kind of makes it seem like that it could be a rational choice in some circumstances. And just that alone, I just found really disturbing. I think that's hard to answer because they are facing death within a day at that point. And I don't, I mean, I don't think you can say it's ever the right choice, but th their situation is so unique. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say. One thing um, that really bothered me was I thought, and I may get his name wrong, but the grounder who ended up losing his family due to the City of Light stuff. Mm. He burned the Ark. And I felt like, I didn't like that. Because I felt like, I felt like they had set him up to be smarter than that. And he just goes and does, you know, this revenge act. And screws everybody in the process. Um, which I don't feel like they set him up like they set him up smarter than that, and then he 
Do you think maybe at that point his it wasn't about his intelligence anymore? That when you're going through something that emotional, your decision making process changes because you just can't think straight through your grief. Like you're just overwhelmed by your emotions and maybe it, it seems irrational from the outside, but you're not acting from rationality. I mean, I just like, if I think about myself, what I would do if I lost my entire family, I just can't even think about it. I, just, I have no clue. He killed how I his react. family, though. Or, he killed his, his family. Okay, yeah. The, so, the chips, yeah. Right? yeah. But I, well, I, I would hope that I wouldn't murder my whole family. But, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah. But it, his it, action wasn't immediate. It was yeah. after. So if you did that immediately, after that happened to your family, I could kind of see how that makes sense. But he had had, I don't know the timeline, but he had had some time with all of these people and with Octavia. It was a bit more calculated. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that rational, this irrational decision for the same reason that Abby wasn't thinking rationally when she smashed the radiation chamber. Just a situation happens and you go offline. But going to Jasper, I, I like Jasper's decline. Not, I don't support suicide anyway, whether it's assisted suicide or, or whatever, but the message I got from the show is not, it's because it's an apocalyptic show, a dystopic show, and whenever this happens, going back to Blade Runner, you see the strength of humanity. It's like we, we, we are humans, we will punch through, we will live and survive and we will thrive. And not everybody will. That's a nice thought. That's the thought we should all have. But not everybody will. Not everybody has what's in them to say, you know what, I'm gonna punch through. And Jasper, starting with, well actually starting with being put in prison as a kid, it's always been one hit after another. And every time he thinks, oh, we survived on Earth, it's, it's not radioactive anymore, we can survive. But then there's the grounders. Oh, we found that weather, and Maya's killed. Oh, now we're back in the ark, and the grown-ups are here, but now the grounders are all going up against us, and all oh, this. And, and finally, you know, he's like, you know what, I'm done. I'm out. I, I'm not taking this anymore. I've had it. And I thought that their survival message was given through Monty's girlfriend, who was with Jasper, saying, you know what, I'm out. I'm done. And when that time came, said, oh, no, 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 no. I have a little bit more in the tank. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit about, like, you know, 40 years in the desert and then the promised land. Like, it's always just, if we can just get here, things will be okay. If we can just get here, if we can just, and the goalpost just keeps getting, moving. it just keeps moving. It's still like, oh, okay, now we're all going to die because of the rain, and we're all going to die because of and then, So, yeah, it's just like this repeated trauma after trauma after trauma. Yeah, it was clear that Jasper was basically done with the, you know, living on the edge, if you will. You know, every time they were getting ready to die, Monty, you know, would come to him and say, no, we can survive this, we just gotta do this. And then it was the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And, and he, even though he knew Monty was probably right and they would have a chance in space, um, he's like, but then something's gonna break on a spaceship and we're gonna be having to float each other now. Uh, you know, the same thing that we were, you know, so dead set against previously, so, um, in the context of the show and the character, we understand why he made the decision he did, even though in this reality we wouldn't agree with it or support it um, or justify it. But given the situation he was in, he had less than a day before the radiation came in, and he's just like, I just want to go the way I want to go. Yeah, and he got to choose, which is, which is more than a lot of the characters had you know, in the past. And he doesn't have to watch any of his friends die. Right. right, which it would Again. be more painful Again. considering everything that's already happened to his friends um, and his girlfriend. I just want to make, does anybody else have any thoughts or questions? I want to make sure I'm, it's hard for me to see under these lights. <laughs> um, so did we, did we all? Uh, no, I was going to say a point that I was going to make earlier, we were talking about the oh, yes, grounder, yes. talking about the grounder, I mean not the grounder people, the bunker people. Um, only the... I just want to clarify, only the humans didn't get to choose their fate. Correct. All the, right, all the grounders, they all got to choose which 100 would live. So I think Octavia is safe because she has 1,100 <coughs> people backing her up and only 99 um, who might hate her. Well, then that's true, but those, you know, those 99 um, may know the functionality well, of the yeah, bunker better well, from a security perspective better, than the rest. They know it, period. Right. Yeah. So they may be able to their power. attack other people in ways that the, the grounders may not be able to in that setting. And it, it's a real interesting 
dynamic that hopefully we'll we'll get you know a little bit. The writer did say there would be some flashbacks in season five to what happened during that six-year time gap, both in space and in the bunker. So we'll get some context as to you know what's happened during that time. What I think is interesting is Octavia is kind of where Clark was season one. Yeah. yeah. Like she is now the leader. She may have you know, um, Abby and Marcus and uh, John are kind of taking the reins, but she's trying to do the ethical thing. And sometimes the. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, and sometimes the best leaders are people who didn't want to or expect to have to lead. Um, you know, they they ha rather had that power rather than searching out that power, it was thrust upon them, and usually that leads to somebody being a lot more fair and just. Whereas Clark is kind of like where Kate was um, at the beginning, and she even says that to him at some point in the season. I remember you spaced my father. Um, so even as she's making the same sorts of decisions, she knows it's happened to her. Mm -hmm. So I just think that's interesting that they keep repeating this dynamic. I think that's kind of an interesting parallel that we'll be seeing with Octavia as well, because she is someone who grew up basically at the mercy of society that's like, you know, you can't exist, you have to be trapped with all these rules because we can't have more people. And now she's gonna be running society where they're probably gonna to have to make a lot of those same rules. Mm. There's not gonna be enough things for them. And she's going to have to literally turn into the people who kept her a prisoner when she was a child. Yeah, yeah. And you know, one of the things the show does a great job is there are no easy choices anywhere, <laughs> you know, and, and that can be frustrating <clears throat> as a fan because you're like, oh, oh. But I think that's the genius of the show is you you see both sides of the arguments and, and you you wonder what choice you would make. Yeah, she's gonna end up having to create these harsh rules that, that she was so adamant against when Jaha was running it and when Kane was running it, and now here she is being the leader, having to make those exact same decisions, set those same rules and harsh punishments in order to maintain order while they're all confined in this bunker for six years. So it, it's like Clark's story where she gets to see how the, the way her mother was being with her, now Octavia gets to see what it was like to be in Jaha or Kane's position. I do like how we're all just completely behind the fact that Octavia would absolutely be, she, it, we have no idea what's going on, but we're all 100% behind the fact that she has stepped up and is the leader now, you know, obviously unless there's something I don't know I I, I was at Comic-Con and like when you're at Comic-Con you actually don't have time to like see yeah, yeah, anything yeah, that's yeah, happening yeah. unless you're in the room um, so unless did they say that she is definitely the head or is that still kind of up in the air they they weren't real specific about it but they said that we it would be very interesting where she ends up so it's kind of a vague statement you know in her interviews she's 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 obviously still alive she hasn't been overthrown, but I don't know if maybe she has multiple people helping her lead or if she's doing it on her own. Um, but, but I also think she could be maybe a specific type of leader. Like <coughs> she's doing defense or, um, you know, training, training warriors or, or something to that effect, which she would still be part of that council of, of leaders that so she so she'd be more like a like a teacher like coming full circle like she was trained by Indra and now she's training others. I could see that. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she could she could end up saying, "Hey, I never wanted the leadership role to begin with." So what she does is she picks leaders, one from each group, and creates a new like council of, of leaders who will basically run that. Um, my guess from the casting information we've gotten is that Isaiah Washington, um, I don't believe, is in the new season. From what I'm hearing, um, which would suggest that it's either going to be Abby or Kane, if if she were to pick one from each group, who would be coming from the. So he's not. We 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 don't think he's in. He's going to be in next season much at all, or at all, or at all. Um, he said something on Twitter about it, and um, the writers Episode did as well. Three. Episode three. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's that suggests either that's when we're done getting the view of in the bunker, or perhaps there's another coup d'état attempt and it doesn't end well. 
Well, and, and and Jaha, at least for me, is one of those is another one of those characters where I feel like um, like Jasper. They've just been they've dragged out his end. Uh, um, you know, we've seen these. You know, like Clark has her leadership arc. Kane has his leadership to not leadership back to leadership arc. And and <clears throat> as much as I didn't like Kane at the beginning, I really enjoy him and have been enjoying him for a while now. But Jaha has kind of just been stagnant. Um, and I don't know if it's just a not very, you know, smart writing choice on their part or what, but, um, yeah, that, that I'm, I'm actually happy to know that because I feel like he's, his, his end has been coming and coming and coming and coming for a long time. I, I think now. that's an interesting perspective about when we were talking about how do we watch the show or do we watch it weekly or do we binge it? And especially with a show like this, where sometimes I feel like I'm just enjoying the show. And even if they're displaying it on screen or showing a clock or something, I'm not always, as a viewer, I, I'll get caught up in what's happening, but I'm, I don't really pay attention so much to the exact timeline. But when you're watching a show weekly, sometimes it can be like all this dramatic stuff happened that took four episodes, but it was really over the course of two days or something. So like as a viewer, you feel like it's being dragged out. Whereas if you're binge watching yeah. and you know, then it, your sense of time is different based on how you experience the show. And of course, how much they're showing you and sometimes I feel like we're not really getting time information like is it really necessary for me to know how much time it took for them to like drive a vehicle from point A to point B as a viewer all I really need to know is them sitting there going okay we have five minutes to get there everyone dies like but the actual length of the journey isn't really that important so yeah I think your perspective on time and what should be what takes more time and what should take more time differs on how you experience the show. Yeah. So the question is, how many of you out here prefer to binge watch versus watching it weekly? <laughs> how many do both? Watch it weekly and then binge watch it again. <laughs> it's, 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 I find it interesting when I watch it, I, you know, when I love a show, I'll watch it weekly because I want to know what's going on. But then sometimes I'll go back and I'll binge watch all the episodes and you'll catch little references in the new episodes that go back to the previous ones that you might have otherwise missed. Yes. Or Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah, or characters where I'm like, if I watch it weekly and I haven't seen that character in like eight episodes, I'm like, who's that guy again? Like, I don't remember that guy. But if I'm binge watching, I'm like, oh, that's Bob. We just saw him like three hours ago. Right. Uh, yes, Sarah, question. Um, I just, I wanted to jump back to Jaha real quick. I, I was with you in season three. I was like, he's gonna die at the end. This is as far as they can take him. I was happy we got him in season four because of the negative influence on Clark's leadership style mm -hmm. that, that he provided her to the point where she's, you know, closing off the bunker and, you know, and, and basically um, breaking the rules of the conclave and everything like that. I thought that was a, a good way to take Clark's journey as well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because it's Jaha, you know, we, we all kind of hated him in a sense from the beginning because of what he did when he was floating people when he was chancellor. But then when season three came around and he became kind of the villain with the City of Light, you know, indoctrinating everyone and making them, you know, doing all of Allie's work, um, then in season four, you know, Clark is making all of these bad decisions as one does, and then Jaha is now playing the other side of the angle. He's not the bad guy now. He's like, you can't do things like this. And it's, you know, you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute, you're not the top person that should be telling me that. I mean, considering what you just did, yeah. but I, that kind of redeemed the character a little bit for me overall. I'd be sad for him to go, but at the same time, if I had to choose, who, you know, Kane, Abby, or Jaha, I would definitely prefer to have Kane or Abby. Do you feel like Jaha is saying, look, I've been down this road, don't make the mistakes I've made? I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, he's providing words of wisdom for Clark, you know, to say, listen, I... I Look at what I just did. Don't make the same mistakes that I that I made. Um, but at the same time, he keeps escaping the consequences of these things that he's done. And in a show like this, it's time to pay up. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like whether it be Kane or Abby or Clark, they make sometimes bad decisions that affect the group, but their decisions are for the group. I don't feel like anymore that Jaha's decisions are for everybody. Yes. They're for power. Yeah. Yeah. And they're for his group specifically and not for everybody, you know, that's in the bunker, for example. Right. 
Okay, so in, in watching the show, does anybody feel like there's ever been a really good decision made that when they finally made the decision, you were like, yes, they're gonna do their, I mean, there's so many times when, you know, that big decision is made and you're going, oh no, not again. It, what the show does great is you're morally conflicted to be excited for any of the decisions that they make. I mean, we, we look at what Mount Weather was doing to everybody, and we were all excited for the switch to be thrown. But then when you realize the collateral damage, you're like, I really shouldn't be excited about this. Yeah. But that's what's made the show so interesting is that every single decision that's been made is like, yes, I wanted this to happen, but then again, look at the collateral damage that occurred from it. I would say, I'm trying to think if there's really ever one where there was never a, well, a downside to it. Well, I was happy when Octavia decided to kind of adopt the strategy she did in the Hunger Games. <laughs> because I was like, okay, that's realistic. Because I feel like some, sometimes, um, and I understand why this happens, but I feel like sometimes TV shows will be like, you know, that's a totally unrealistic plan. But yeah, if we just try really hard with our totally unrealistic plan, somehow it's going to succeed. And they're just like powering through and the force of sheer will. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, okay, I don't think sheer will is really gonna help in this situation. But because you're writing this down and filming it and it's not real life, that's why sheer will is gonna work in this case. And I like that she didn't want to, but that she allowed herself to be talked into a what I felt was a practical, realistic strategy for success, instead of like all of a sudden, you know, her thinking that she was just gonna suddenly have skills she was never ever trained to have. And so that was a decision where, I, or as soon as she said, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm like, okay, right call, now I think she's gonna make it. You know, there's, there's a line, I'm gonna get it wrong, from Dollhouse where, um, Someone says, good job, and, you get, and she says, no, I, I played a poor hand of well. You know, and I think sometimes that's this show. If there is oh, yeah, no, absolutely. there is no good, they've been dealt a bad hand and they're playing it the best they can. Oh, yeah. And I think that's part of the joy of this is we don't have a perfect chance. We don't have a, there certainly are moments where I go, yes, but mostly it's, well, they, they did the best they could. They made the best out of the bad circumstances, and where do we go next? Well, and speaking of where, where do they go next, I mean, um, so we know they have the, you know, prison transfer with these new people that they're introducing, and obviously, like, that's going to be a big part of the conflict from, you know, next season, but... Um, they can't just keep, you know, having new radiation pop up, and you know, the, <laughs> Allie and her chip are gone. Um, appointment every six years. With a yeah, every fallout. every six years, there's another six year fallout. Uh, every year, there's another six year fallout. However, I can't remember how long they were on there, but um, you know, it, from that respect, do you guys think that they will be able to continue to they will be able to continue this pace for more than maybe a couple more seasons? What I've always wondered. They, they, I think it was second season where they found Monty's family in his part of the art. And they never explained if they ever found the other parts. They sort of alluded to it. But whether they fell somewhere else or anything was ever found. So I think there's story there that there are other parts of the art that maybe made it to her or survivors from those parts. And I think you could get a lot of story out of that. But I think it just depends on how they choose to go back there and how they build it up because people have probably forgotten that there are other parts of the art that were supposed to come down. But wouldn't the recent fallout, the most recent fallout, have killed them? That's true. Yep. They, wouldn't have, they didn't know about the bunker or, or have black blood. So, it depends well, on how damaged their portions of the art yeah, were, and, I and think. we don't know if they found bunkers where, where they happened. Oh, that's right. The art was safe. Yeah. 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 So they it's... It, it, go ahead. They probably wouldn't have known, though, that it was coming because they wouldn't have been True. Like, they didn't oh, have... Everything's burning. Oh, they didn't have Allie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and, and to be fair, once Raven fixed the equipment, she was able to detect when the radiation was going to get there. So if the other parts of the ship had their own version of a raven or their technology state attack, they would have been fully aware of you know what was coming. Or maybe they were long before our guys were because their equipment was fully functional or they were near a nuclear plant. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to say. 
Um, but I would think it would be very interesting, like with the farm station, if there were, you know, other sections. Um, when the cast panel happened um, on Saturday, they, they mentioned, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have a whole story from the point of view of survivors in another country? Because that gives you a whole different perspective, both culture, culturally and uh, geographically, how they survived, who they ran into, what they had to deal with, um, versus you know, versus where we are right now um, with the 100. So uh, there's definitely a lot of story there. Uh, the writers admitted they kind of put themselves in a corner with the ending in season four because they weren't sure if they were going to get another season. And now that they have the opportunity, they kind of have to expand the world beyond where they are if they're going to continue it. Do we have any other audience questions? We've got about five minutes left, so I just want to make sure if anybody has thoughts, you guys get them out there. No. Um, <clears throat> um, I believe it is a mid-season return. Oh, so it's going to be, what, January before it comes yeah, back? I think it's, yeah, it's winter 2018. And, you know, I'm one. I, I love the idea that they do the um, fairly mini-series feel. You know, they don't try to stretch it to 22 seasons, 22 episodes. They do the short season. They they go through a lot of story in those seasons. So I, I like this model that they're doing, and, and I'm really, you know, I'm kind of, as a fan, I really love the idea that CW, you know, is sticking with this um, show, which is kind of, uh, it's, a little off-brand even though there's a lot of pretty people on it but it is kind of it, it's it's a really nice change of pace for CW. Um, did you guys have any other thoughts like I'm not wrapping it up quite yet but I want to make sure we've all is there anything else specific you wanted to talk about? You're doing a great job of keeping it <laughs> yeah, yeah we've uh, I think we've covered a lot of the a lot of what season four left us with. Yeah yeah and I mean um it, it, I just, sometimes I forget how many seasons this show has had, um, because I feel like, especially seasons one and two were so, like, jam-packed, um, you know, I, I think season three was a little bit slower, uh, you know, but, but yeah, seasons one and two just felt super jam-packed to the point where I feel like they were just, like, one really awesome, you know, slightly longer season, um, Whereas like the past three and four, they've had some pretty slow moments. Um, so, and especially probably the, the alley chip thing was like my absolute least favorite, uh, you know, like conflict that they've had so far. Um, so do you guys think that they're, what, actually what, what, what has been, what, what have been your thoughts on the conflicts? What did you think worked and what did you think did not work? I'll jump in and, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the chip and kind of everyone, we, we've seen that trope before where, you know, you've kind of been zombie size or, you know, you've kind of taken the pill. I, I like it when it's the culture clashing and trying to figure out the right thing to do to keep your family or your tribe safe while at the same time trying to work in alliance with others. Those are, that's the story I most enjoy because there aren't any easy answers and, and you get a lot of things. I, I agree with you. I thought that kind of artificial intelligence was a little too, I, I don't think they needed to go there. They could have gone something, you know, kept there. There's enough conflicts built in this world without doing that. Yeah, I, I, I liked Allie. I was just looking up the actress's name because I was blanking on it, but Erica Sarah. I, I enjoyed her in Eureka, and I've seen her in a number of other things. Battlestar Galactica. Um, she had a one episode in Supernatural. I'm sure she's been on lots of things. But sometimes I just see an actress that I recognize, and maybe you know I'm, I'm used to seeing them play a certain type of role over and over again, and this was a different kind of role than I had previously seen her in. And so I kind of feel like when that happens, I might have one expectation, like, oh, you know, this one plays a, typically a good character, or this one plays a villain, and with her, I thought she did a really great job of straddling that line. Like, in the beginning, you know, I'm here to help. Um, and it, I'm sure she thought she was, like, she didn't think she was the bad guy. She wasn't trying to be evil. She thought she was helping. She was doing what she was supposed to be doing. 
And I thought that was that was really interesting, and I enjoyed her performance. Yeah, I would have to agree um, with both of you that season three was the slowest one for me. I wasn't a big fan of the alley arc. Um, I think the good to come out of it was is it's what helped tie together what created the situation in the first place, the yeah. downfall, and how that tied into the religion and culture of the Grounders. I think that was a, a good part to come out of it, but the actual City of Light portion of the arc, it, it, that's where I almost tuned out the show for a bit during that. Um, and then coming back to season four, um, they kind of went back to what made season one and two so great, and that's kind of where I got back into it. But. Um, uh, Erica Sura, she's a she's a great actress, and and she did really well with the role. Oh yeah. Um, but it was definitely the slower episodes for me. Yeah, dis disliking a general storyline doesn't uh, um, necessarily mean one dislikes you know the actor or whatever. Oh, yeah. She no, was no, she yeah, and yeah. she got to also play two roles. You know, she mm -hmm. was two mm -hmm. different people, and so she's definitely like her. She's very 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 talented. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, you guys, it is two o'clock, so we have to wrap it up. But thank you all for coming. Thank you for your insights and questions. Um, don't forget to rate us in the Dragon Con app. If you didn't like the panel, rate it five stars. <laughs> <laughs>